0: Welcome to another Sunday Morning Sermon for Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word.
1: John was a follower of Jesus who wrote down his firsthand eyewitness account about life with Jesus. Here's how he summarized his personal experience and his conclusion about Jesus. It's in John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh, and took up his residence among us. Kind of an interesting phrasing in it. He relocated. We, he says, like Peter, James, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and some others. We saw his glory. It was the glory of the one and only, and he was full of grace and truth and came from the Father. Nobody expected God to come down to us. At best, people tried to move up to his level or at least convince everyone that they were a God. The pharaohs of Egypt, they wanted to be one of the gods. They they passed on the heritage and the tradition that they were to be treated as a god. The emperors of Rome wanted to be recognized and treated as one of the gods. But nobody ever expected God to come down and become one of us. And they certainly never expected that God would come as a baby. I mean, if anything, we would expect God to arrive... Well, something like this old video. Look how young he looks. (laughs) That's how you'd expect God to arrive if He ever came, to arrive, right? Girl, it's Gozer I
0: thought Gozer was a man, whatever it wants to be.
1: The last phrase that you may have had trouble hearing—it's the last, or it's whatever He wants to be. That's what we would expect about God, right? Why in the world would God come and live like one of us? John says God came to earth in a human body and lived with them for three years. For the sake of argument this morning, let's just say that that's true. But why would he come as a baby? Why come so vulnerable? Why come so harmless? Who would make up a story like that? And yet, that was their story of how it all began. And after they followed him, lived with him, and listened to him, and watched him for that period of time that he was here, this is how John summarized his opinion about Jesus. It's in John 20, verse 30 and 31. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written, he says, so that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. Hmm. So if you're John... And you've come to the logical conclusion that Jesus is God in the flesh. What would you expect him to do now that he's here? I mean, he makes his grand appearance, right? Except now, instead of coming down from a a celestial palace in the sky with everything that you saw there, he, he comes instead as a baby. But if you accept the idea that he's here, what now? I mean, the first thing you would expect is he's here to come and take over the rule of the world. So wouldn't you find yourself asking some pretty obvious questions like, okay, God, when do you plan on taking over? Is it now? Where's our, we're here to help you. Where's our weapons? We know you came to be in charge. So who do you want to start with, the Pharisees? They're the ones who were hassling you for three years. They even tried to kill you. Matter of fact, at one point in time, it says that they even came and tried to throw you off of a cliff. And after you're done with the Pharisees, I assume you're then going to take over the Roman government, right? You got to deal with the government if you're going to rule the world, because Caesar thinks that he's a god. So, why in the world would God become one of us and then... Just leave us. You can only imagine their confusion and fear as well when Jesus announced that he would be betrayed and die. They were well aware of the attempts on his life. They'd lived there with him. This was not the time for him to leave them and leave them alone on their own. And that's why in John 14, he shares these thoughts with them. In verse 1 of John 14, He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You've put your trust in God. Now trust me also. And in verse 2 of John 14, there are many rooms in my father's house. I wouldn't tell you this unless it were true. I'm going there to prepare a place for each one of you. And in verse 3, when everything is ready, I will come back for you so that you'll always be with me. You know the way to where I'm going. I thank goodness for Thomas, because it's no surprise that the skeptic in their midst finally said what they probably all were thinking in verse 5. We have no idea where you're going. How can we know the way to get there? After the shock of it all wore off wouldn't you be wondering as well not just why in the world God would come become one of us but why would he come and be one of us and then just leave us this is why people question God because he just doesn't make sense to us And he certainly doesn't always do what we think he should do. He should come take care of the Romans. He should come take care of the Pharisees. He should come take care of the poor. He should come take care of the sick. He should do all of the things that we think God should do when he gets here. There's only one thing. He's God. We're not. In verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And it's phrases like that that drive people in our culture of inclusion absolutely bat-crazy because it's so narrow-minded. There's no way that... Come on, Jeff, help me out here now. I'm I'm trying to be good. There's no way that he would be so narrow-minded as to say that he is the only way to the Father except through me. And yet he goes on in verse 7 to say, Because you've known me, you will also know my Father, because from now on you know him. In fact, he says, you have seen him. And statements like this is what drove the religious leaders among the Pharisees nuts of that day. Well, that's blasphemy. You're claiming to be God. You're claiming that if we've seen you, we've seen God. And nobody's seen God. You can't claim that and be a man of God. In verse 8, Philip then speaks up. And I would imagine with the same level of exasperation that Thomas must have had. When he says, Lord, just show us the Father. That's all we ask. Remember what it was like when your parents were trying to help you do homework? And they're trying to explain to you how to find the answer. And you don't want to be there at the table anymore with them. And you certainly don't want to try to understand something that you've already admitted to yourself. There's no way. I get this. I don't get it. I never will get it. Just give me the answer. That's all I want. Just show me the answer. It's probably what Philip was feeling. And we've all felt that with God. I just just wish I could know for sure that there really is a God. I just wish I could know for sure what God really wanted for my life. And yet Jesus says, Philip, I've been with you for a long time don't you know who i am it's almost as though he's saying i'm as close as you're ever going to get in this life to seeing the father philip he he then says in verse 9 plainly if you've seen me you've seen the father how can you now ask me to show you the father and then he follows it up in verse 10 by saying, don't you believe that I am one with the Father and the Father is one with me? What I'm telling you, I'm not saying on my own own initiative, which is another way of just saying, Philip, I'm not making this stuff up. I'm not just talking to hear myself talk. This is what my Father wants me to say. And that's really where it kind of comes down to, isn't it? Do you want to know what God says? Then listen to Jesus. Philip? Thomas? Do you really want to see God? Do you really want to know what God wants in your life? Then listen to me. You want to know what God thinks about something? Do you want to know what God thinks about forgiveness and character and money and morals and relationships? Then listen to what Jesus said because what Jesus said is exactly what God thinks. kind of brings us to the heart of the question, doesn't it? Don't miss this. Do you know what God says? And do you care? Because those are two very distinctive different things, aren't they? I may know what the Word of God says, but whether I care about it is a whole other issue. And yet Jesus says, if you want to know what God thinks about it, listen to me verse four or excuse me verse 10 he says it's the father living in me who's doing his work god's answering your prayers now i'm here in response to your prayer i'm here because of the will of god i'm here to tell you exactly what it is that god wants in your life you want to know what god would do with somebody like you watch me do you want to know how god would react or treat somebody in certain situations? Watch Jesus. How would he act? How would God treat somebody who's been married and divorced five different times and finally just gave up on it all and, and just lived with somebody? Look at Jesus and how he treated the woman at the well. That's how God would react. That's what God would do. Do you want to know how God would react around people who were all religious from the teeth out, who were more concerned about appearances than what was actually going on in their heart? Look at how Jesus dealt with the Pharisees. Do you want to know how God feels about people who take advantage of others? Look at how Jesus dealt with people there in the temple. Who were stealing from them, taking advantage of them, jacking up the price of the animals that would be sacrificed. That's when he made a whip and started beating people out of the temple, saying, You have no place here. That's when he started tossing tables. That's how God would act. So, again, why in the world would God become one of us? To communicate? And to demonstrate what God is really like. God wanted so badly for us to know him that he didn't rely on just sending information. If God wanted to, <laughs> in terms of Ralphie, if God wanted to send a Zeppelin over earth, he could have done that and just dropped pamphlets out of the earth or over the earth and tell people what he wanted. Or I don't know, he could, have, he could have come down to the top of a mountain and written it in stone so that it wouldn't get broken. Or, Oh, well, wait, that didn't work out so well for Moses, did it? He came in person to explain it to us. And then to show us physically so that there would be no misunderstanding. He says, I want you to know me for who I really am so that you're not left to wonder or make your best guess about it. You see, Jesus didn't claim to have the best answer and explanation of God. He claimed to be the best explanation of God. That's why Christians take the New Testament so seriously. Not just because it's a holy book, but it it shows us the Holy One. And that's what we're asking people to believe about Jesus. When you have those why in the world, big questions about God, listen to what Jesus said and watch what he did. The writer of Hebrews would describe it this way in chapter one, verse one, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets in many times and in many different ways. But now, in these last days, he says, God has spoken to us through his Son. Again, there's why he came. He came to communicate, and he came to demonstrate. The Son reflects the glory of God, and he shows exactly what God is like. If that's why Jesus came, then why in the world would you form an opinion about God based on your circumstances? instead of listening to Jesus or watching Him. People make assumptions about God all the time based on what's going on and what's happening in their life. If life is good, then God is good. If I'm healthy, wealthy, and happy, then God is a good God. But if things are in the toilet, what's wrong with God? He must be bad if my life is bad. The problem with that is that our ability to accurately interpret the meaning of circumstances is limited at best. We've all got our stories with the same theme. I don't know what's wrong. I was sure this was God's will, but I guess it wasn't. Both teams pray for a win. Only one team wins. What's the other team supposed to think? That God isn't there, or that God didn't answer their prayer? kid goes to his dad, Dad, I don't understand. I prayed that she was the right one for me, and then she dumped me. I guess God doesn't answer prayer, or maybe he's not even there. And he says, Son, I knew she wasn't good for you, and I prayed that she'd dump you. I'm glad God answered prayer. You see, if we make assumptions about God just because of what's happening in our life, we're probably going to come up with the wrong idea about God. But why in the world would you look to religious traditions to form an opinion about God instead of listening to Jesus or watching Him? Now, some of us grew up around religion in an environment that observed certain traditions. Christmas Eve, candles, carols. Communion. There's nothing in the Bible that says, Thou shalt meet on Christmas Eve and do that. Some of you observe traditions about opening presents on Christmas Eve night. Some of you wait till Christmas morning. Others of you wait until halfway through January when your kids are available. The bottom line is what happens when your traditional beliefs and practices? contradict what Jesus said that's what frustrated the religious leaders and teachers of Jesus day he didn't follow their practices and he ignored their traditions and as a matter of fact he pointed out the contradiction of being more committed to their tradition than they were to God listen to how he described it in Mark chapter 7 verse 13 he says you think it's more important to follow your own tradition than to do what God actually said. So, weigh it out. Here's what God said. Here's what I'm used to doing. Think I'll choose this. And Jesus points out the hypocrisy of that. He points out the, the dumbness of that. Why would you choose your routine over what God said? Why would you Well, if we're going to ask that, we might as well ask, why would you choose your lifestyle? What you're used to doing instead of what Jesus showed us God's opinion was. See, the problem is we want things to make sense to us. So we rely on things that are familiar. We rely on things that are comfortable. We rely on things that we like. And when things don't make sense, that's what we fall back on. But we come up with all these black and white answers to black and white solutions and black and white questions in a world that's not always black and white. And then when life throws us a curveball that we don't anticipate, we don't know what to do with us. It makes us nervous and insecure. And then there aren't clear cut answers to the hard questions about life so what do we do we run and hide behind our security blanket of the traditions instead of admitting that we just don't know kind of had to laugh some of our grandkids spent a night with us over christmas and you know some of our in high school now and, and I, i'd look down in in the pile of pillows and blankets that grammy had gotten out for them you know and 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 here was something that looked familiar. It was about this big, and it was a little square blanket with a bear's head on it. Silk trim around the eye. That thing looked like it had been run over by a Mack truck at least for 10 years. And then I remembered, yeah, that's the favorite bear that our junior in high school granddaughter goes to bed with. Kind of like her mom that took a Care Bear to college with her. And when she got engaged, a husband said, you know what, that's not going on the honeymoon with us. I'm the one you're going to hold on to, not that Care Bear. Did she take it or not? I'm not sure whether she, I don't think she did. But when we get uncomfortable, we look for the familiar things. I know some of you are sitting here thinking, where's my care bear now? (laughs) But that's what happened with people when Jesus was here. He threatened their traditional beliefs because it didn't fit inside their box of answers about God. They thought they had God figured out. They thought they knew the box where God would fit into. And when God didn't fit into that box, they didn't know what else to do with it. So it's an important thing to ask yourself. Am I more committed to the tradition that I've always believed in or to what Jesus actually taught? Which one are you more committed to? Now, some of us grew up in really legalistic churches where the answer to every question was on one single card. No. Didn't matter what the question was. You can count on the answer. It's always going to be the same. No. Can I do this? No. Can I do this? No. Can I go there? No. Can I date them? No. Can I do this on a date? No. Well, everybody's school's doing this. No. And we were okay with that as long as we lived our life in compliance with the traditional rules for acceptance. But when life blew up the rule book and we had to decide if we were more committed to our rule book of traditions, than what Jesus actually said? That's a tough moment. That's when we start looking for mercy instead of doctrine, right? Can we get just real honest about life and church and traditions and how it can blow up our faith in God? When you're a little guy... Or when you're a big guy. Death doesn't fit in the box where we keep God, does it? And when good people die, it doesn't matter whether they're 2, 12, or 102. It can affect your view of God. Divorce. Doesn't fit into the box where we keep God, does it? And disease and disasters don't fit either. Why in the world would God allow that to happen when a good person at church dies young? Why in the world would God allow that to happen when a good person at church gets divorced? Why in the world would God allow that to happen when a tornado or some other act of God blows up a town? You see, mastering a system, creating this nice little box with department store wrapping and a bow on top, may look pretty when it comes to church but allowing god to live in you that takes humility there's a better way to figure out what god thinks and what god wants than the circumstances in life or the traditions that make us feel comfortable that's why at mcc we keep reminding ourselves on a regular basis that we need to learn more Love more so that we can look more like Jesus in how we live. Why in the world would you look within yourself to try to figure out what God is like? Because you're limited to what's within yourself, right? The six-year-old version of me had a very limited understanding about life and God. The 16-year-old version of me had a different version about life and God. And the 46-year-old version of me was definitely different than the 66-year-old version of me. And an 86-year-old version of you is definitely going to be different when it comes to the priorities of life and the priority of God, right? So which opinion about God is the right representation about God? Is God like the celestial Santa Claus that just gives good things to people and, and, and gives a big ho-ho-ho belly laugh, you know, because that's how much he loves us? Or is God the one who says, don't cross that line? Because if you do, it's not going to work out for you. Why in the world would you look at nature to form an opinion about God? Oh, sure, nature may tell you that there is a God when you see its intricate design. But when you get a good look at nature, it's dirty. And it's bloody. Because in nature, it's the survival of the fittest. There's no compassion on the part of the lion. There's no mercy on the part of the viper. There's no forgiveness in nature. It's cut and dried, dangerous, dirty, and deadly. Now the God who created nature is the same God of the Old Testament and the laws that were there that provided structure and order to a civilization. But that same God says, that's not enough because it's inadequate for them to fully understand who I am and what I'm like and what I want from them. So why in the world would God come to live as one of us? Again, it comes back to this, to communicate and demonstrate what God is really like. Trying to guess what God is like based on our circumstances or our traditions. Let me rephrase that. Trying to figure out what God is like just by coming to church is limited at best. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have to come to church. It's a great way to start off the new year, right? But if church doesn't teach us about God, if church doesn't show us Jesus, then we're not going to understand what God is like, are we? David, want you and the praise team join me on stage? We'll finish up with this. I've got a challenge for you this week. Now, it's not going to be a big thing, but it is going to be a big thing. Choose your gospel—Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Doesn't matter which one. It's the story, the firsthand experience, an eyewitness account of what it was like to be with Jesus. Now, if Jesus came to communicate and demonstrate what God's really like, you could probably figure out what God's really like by reading one of those gospel accounts. So here it is, pick one, Matthew, Mark. It's the shortest one. If you're looking for the short one, that's it. Luke, if you're looking for the detailed analytical one, he was a physician. He was used to all those details. Or John. And ask yourself while you read through just one thing. What is Jesus teaching me about God? If you're ready to believe that first-hand eyewitness account of of Jesus. That God became one of us. Then where that will lead you is to a point where you're willing to admit Jesus was God. So swallow your pride and come clean with God. And then act on your convictions. Submit to God's opinion. Listen to what Jesus said. And yield your will to his will. Accept responsibility for changing priorities. And commit yourself to obedience to the will of God. Don't just read it and say, huh, how about that? And then walk away allow yourself to be changed in your responsiveness to God commit yourself to that make your faith your lifestyle not just what you do on Sundays the last thing Jesus said as the God who came to be one of us so that we would know what God wanted to communicate to us is recorded in Mark 16 verse 16 He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does does not believe will be condemned. You don't have to wonder or guess what God thinks. He's pretty well said it just that plainly. What's up to us is to believe him and to show him by what we choose to do with our life. Let's stand together and encourage one another.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldorf Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.